mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey guys, it's Candice. And Kayla, and we are directionally challenged. Yeah, we totally thought we'd have it all figured out by the time we were in our 30s. Surprise! We don't. <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> Is it a surprise? That's totally okay. It's not a surprise. It's not at all. I think it's totally appropriate. You know, I don't want to have it all figured out. How boring would that be? I mean, I'm okay with maybe having it all figured out. It sounds really nice right now. (laughs) Well, we're so excited to have a guest on today who self-admittedly does not have it figured out, but we think she's got a hell of a lot more figured out than we did when we were 26 years old. We're having Megan Rinks join us. You guys might know her from her YouTube page. She has over 2 million subscribers. She's an actress. You might have seen her in her movie, The Honor List. She's got a podcast with our producer, Melissa Montz, who you guys have her join us on our podcast before. It's called Don't Blame Me. And most importantly, what we're celebrating today is she has a brand new book out, a whole book that she wrote. And it's called 
You're not special. Which is crazy because she totally is. You're not special, a sort of memoir. And in it, she discusses the impact mononucleosis had on her life in high school and why she dropped out of college to pursue her career as a content creator. It's an approachable self-help book from someone who's completely unqualified to give you advice, but is your best friend. And I think it sounds amazing. I know we both read it. I just love her so much. I'm so proud of her. The book's fantastic. And she does. She has really a lot of great advice in it. She does have a lot of great advice. And then we are also lucky enough to call her one of our friends. We've known Mm -hmm. Megan for a long time. I've actually, I met her in just a general meeting. Uh, We're both with the same management company. And we met ah, seven years ago, maybe. That's wild. Seven or eight years ago. And um, I just knew immediately that she was going places. She was whip smart, so funny. And I just had, I was like, well, I'm just past my prime now because now I'm old and she's cool and young and I don't know what the youth do anymore. Um, And she was always just light years ahead. She taught me how to work Instagram. Do you remember this, Kayla? Because you got to meet her at a Moomoo shoot that we did together. Yes. Wait, but what do you mean she taught you how to do Instagram? She taught us how to do like influencer Instagram. She, it was basically Megan had come in. We were all doing our friends, um, Cammie and Cologne, who you've heard on this podcast in season one, they own a clothing line called show me your moo. Uh, it's, we've been fans and supporters of this line for a very long time. We love these women. It's great. Check it out if you need to do some online shopping right now during this time. Um, But so we participated in a photo shoot for them years ago. And it was basically Megan got to join and she also held everybody captivated. I'll never forget. It was Megan at the center of a room and like 20 women surrounding her (laughs) while Megan was showing us how you could, you know, create your own filters and just like if you want like a full white background, like how to like face tune the background in a way that you want it. And we were all just jaws on the floor, just taking in a full education as if we're taking a college course and influencer Instagram. And look at us now. So evolved. (laughs) We know how to run Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) Barely, barely. Have you been keeping up on your socials during quarantine? It's a day-to-day thing. I'm some days it feels I feel heavy and it's harder. And then other days I feel really light and excited to share what's happening in life. And I think that's just normal. Um, but I've loved following all my friends every day and seeing what people are up to. Candace, I'm a huge fan of your descending down the stairs series that you've started ever since we've been in quarantine. I just had no idea there was that much obscure fashion out there. A lot of obscure fashion. Um, You can check out my Instagram if you don't know what we're talking about. But I did stop it a while ago because I fell off the grid. I got over it. I've turned into a like strictly scroller. And I'm just like not into I just haven't been into posting things. Um, I don't know why, which also for anyone who follows us on Instagram, I apologize because usually that is my domain and I have just been slacking. But it's okay. But I've just been trying, I found it to be a little overwhelming and, you know, I, in times where I just need to take a break from the news or the current situation and just like need to go outside and just like breathe in the air and feel like, okay, I can handle this right now. Um, but that's what I find so impressive when it comes to people like Megan, who we're talking to today, who's had her YouTube channel for 
over over 10 years now mm-hmm. and yeah. how she just has the ability and the comfortability level to you know, really take us all on a journey on what she's going through. And, and she does that so well on her social media as well. And it's just never been something that I've been comfortable with, but seeing her and how she does it is very comforting to me. And, and it really translates to her uh, book as well. I think she's so brutally honest in a time when that's not necessarily easy. And um, also her podcast. You guys, we have such a great interview with Megan. We are so excited to share it with you. So here it is. And we're back with Megan Rinks. Woo! All we want to do is spend an entire hour talking about how special you are, even though <sighs> the title of your book is You're Not Special. <laughs> Thank you. I did get a few like upset. Um, I don't know why I always assume the people who are upset with me are like Midwesterners, but I don't know why. Like that's just where my <laughs> mind goes, um, mostly because I don't know anyone in the Midwest. So it's easier for me to be like, oh, that whole section hates me. Um, but they were like, people were very unhappy. They're like, what do you I'm offended by this title. Like, what do you mean I'm not special? And I was like, it's a good in this context. It's a good thing. But some people are like, but my parents told me I was special and perfect. <laughs> well, it's a good life lesson. I love it. You kind of say it in the very beginning of the book. It's, it's like everyone is special, but you're not special in the sense that everyone has gone through what you're going through before. And you're not alone. We're all in this together. And it's such a good lesson. And I even though I already knew that I needed to be reminded of that. It's okay. I like, I think it's like the fun uh, and like cheeky way of saying like, you're not alone, which if I saw a book that just said, you're not alone, I'd be like, first of all, I would think of like the serial killer aspect. I was like, um, creepy. Who's watching me? And then also it's just kind of corny. And I think it's better. I like going about things in like a, a self-deprecating kind of way. So I think it's, I, I find it much more approachable and attainable form of advice and self-help versus someone who's like, I have my PhD in psychology and this is exactly how you do it. And I'd be like, okay, well, cool. I already messed up for the last like 26 years. So like, where do I start now? Because I haven't been doing all of that stuff. <laughs> well, we're also part of this generation and I'm going to use the word generation loosely because I always forget how old you are. And I think that I'm your age, which I'm <laughs> we're not. We're all the same age. We're I'm all older. the same age. In my mind, for my own comfort, I'm going to say we're all the same age and part of the same generation, but where everybody wins a ribbon, you know, whereas like Mm -hmm. my parents and, you know, older generations just like to say like, no, 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 there are people who win the trophy and then there are people who don't win the trophy. And it's been like a big realization in adulthood when you, after growing up where everyone gets a ribbon and all of a sudden you become an adult and you're like, wait, where the fuck is my ribbon? We're all supposed to be getting ribbons. Where did the ribbons go? So I think I appreciate your, the title of your book. And I think it is actually very wise. And we all need to take that advice that we're, we gotta, we gotta work. We gotta make it happen. No, exactly. And I think it's so much better. I'd rather learn how to like deal with like not winning and not being successful versus like think I am this whole time and then suddenly like get into adulthood and be like, oh shit, you're not now. But like now figure out how to like lose well, like figure out how to do that gracefully. (laughs) Like I would rather learn how to do that as a kid, like you're saying, and like figure it out then of being like winning's not everything. And also you can win at very different things, like very, 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 everyone excels in different areas. And I was, I didn't really grow up with a 
lot of participation awards because like I didn't even participate in things. So um, I feel like I, I, I grew up with like, then I got older and I was like, oh, I actually am good at some stuff because I don't do anything that I'm not good at. So like there are just, I just didn't do anything through high school because it was all academic based. And I was like, can't do that. Can't do that. Can't do that. I don't join games. I can't win. So I, I, I could definitely work on that too. <laughs> Well, I would definitely say winning, you're winning right now because you wrote your own book. Like that's a huge, that's a huge step. And it not is only awful. that. I don't recommend anyone doing it, by the way. Like, I was going to ask you, what is the process like? Because you're so good online and you're so like, you know, who you are and you own it. And then I read that you said it was almost torture to write your book. Why? It's the worst thing ever. Anyone who tells you that they had a great time writing their book is lying and they had a ghostwriter. Like that is like actually like the biggest load I've ever heard. It's awful. And I have a couple of friends who are like fiction authors and I was like complaining about writing and they were DMing me and they're like, this is how I know you're writing your book because like writing is awful. And I am a, like, I am an author. Like I have written like multiple series. I'm like, okay, cool. It's so, like, we're all on the same page. Um, I, it was like, it's, it's so, it's so hard because I mean, I think one of the big hurdles for me is I've got ADHD. So it's so hard for me to like sit and focus and do that. It's so, like, I really set myself up like the best I could. And I, I, cause I knew, I mean, I obviously knew going into it, like I have ADHD, let's figure out how to write a book. So I did so much pre-planning, which is like how I can get stuff done if I have organized everything, but it took me so long because it's like, so you like some people I say some people I just watched this one Chelsea Handler thing where she said that like doing ayahuasca is like doing 10 years of therapy in like one day and that's like kind of how I feel about like writing a book like it's doing like all of this like hard heavy lifting with like emotional stuff if especially because it's like a memoir uh, a part memoir part advice so that is like so emotionally draining and it doesn't necessarily Everyone's like, was it cathartic? And I was like, I mean, no. Like, I ended every day being like, I just need to watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Like, I'm just sad. But it did cheer me up. But I, I think now that it's out, it definitely feels a lot better. But it's also kind of like, I would assume, both of you have given birth to children. But I would assume it's kind of like after you have the baby and you're like, oh, my God, this is so cute. I would do all of that again. And that's I'm like looking yes. at my finished book being like, was it that bad? I feel like it wasn't. Maybe I was exaggerating. <laughs> <laughs> which is what I assume childbirth is like to like a whole different degree because you have to like pay for their life for like 18 years and like all of that stuff <laughs> for, ha for having not gone through the experience it's pretty accurate <laughs> it was really nice to hear about your parents and how you grew up in the book um especially because obviously I'm sure there's so many similarities but given what you do as a career now like you you have a YouTube page with over two million subscribers you're an actress you're an artist creative and both of your parents are big academics mm -hmm. and you grew up here in California and I definitely relate because my parents are academics my dad's a doctor. My mom worked as an environmental engineer and then I was like I'm gonna be an entertainer and just throw a <laughs> wrench in your whole plan <laughs> <laughs> what what was it like I mean what do your parents think about you writing a book and and it was and also like now that you've I, I yeah what what do your parents think as academics like are they really like is this a new turn I guess sorry I'm um, rambling away no you're so good um I would say for anyone who has like read the book I've got I've had I have like a, a an odd relationship with my parents which is touched um in the book but I would say that my mom is 
uh, unhappy from what I've heard, but mostly because she um, correctly assumed that she is featured in a not so flattering light. And then my dad is excited, but also because he hasn't read it yet. <laughs> and like, it was it was so funny. He texted me the other day and was like, okay, I think it was the day the book came out. And he was like, congrats. I can't like can't wait to read it. And I sent a screenshot of it to my best friend going, I can wait for him to read it. Like, I would be OK if he waited a while. But um, it was funny. I actually just read a review on Amazon, which is like the only place I'm letting myself read reviews because you can already tell if they're going to be good or bad based on the number of stars they are. So if they're bad, I'm just not going to read it. And it's like a good way for me to vet that stuff. Um, but it was like someone, it was like one of like my parents' friends wrote a review on it. And I was like, oh my God, this is like too meta and too full circle. And I'm terrified. And they were very nice and gave me five stars. And I was like, oh, wow, I can tell which of my parents' side that you picked in the debacle that's like in the book. And it's, it's, it's the one that I would I sided with too. So okay, but it was it's wild. They definitely like I touch on it a lot through the course of the book is how um how it can feel like when you're t- taking a very different like career path than like what other people expect of you, whether it's like your parents and things like that. I and even like dropping out of college and all of that. I think the thing that was obviously like great because it was my life and I had two. I, I it wasn't all just like one situation that my like friends weren't super excited when I dropped out of college and was like, oh, I'm just going to pursue this thing full time and all of that like instability. And neither were my parents were. But I think what's cool about it is that half of them, I mean, it's not great that ha- like some people were like still very upset and still like do aren't about it now. But then it like proved to me like, oh, that's not how everybody's reaction is because like my best friend was so not into me dropping out of college. And now she's like, it's the greatest thing you've ever done. Like, I'm so happy for you. This is amazing. So you get to, I get to see that like, okay, cool. So some people suck and then other people don't. So I'm just going to hang out with the people who don't suck at least all the time. Actually, my, my best friend never sucks. She's literally the best. Were you aware of, throughout the writing process about writing about family and about friends and like as someone who like has talked openly about your anxiety is that something that came up a lot because that's something like that I think about even just like in therapy you know what I mean as opposed to like sharing it with like everybody what was that process like were you having did you like reread chapters after you'd write it oh and, yeah and so much. I mean, I think uh, the craziest thing is I I got like a notification on uh, my time hop a couple months. Oh, God, I don't remember. But a while ago. But it was the day that I was at my a-, a picture of the day that I was at my agency having my first like book meetings with all of these different publishers. And it was so crazy because I was like, oh, my God, this was so, so, so long ago. And everything. So all of the stuff that like the I knew I wanted to like touch on like anxiety and like depression and things like that and like growing up. But I literally I think the first time the first draft or even the first part of the book that I wrote was over five years ago. And so the book really evolved and changed in the last in in, like these five years of me, because I think when I started it, there was a lot of stuff like about family stuff that like hadn't happened yet. And so it was like I had no intention. And I think I start off that chapter being like I had no intention of writing this because I'm like yeah this didn't when I like signed my publishing deal like this situation didn't like part of it existed but like what really led to like the boiling point didn't exist and so it wouldn't have had this chapter um and then for everything else the first time I wrote everything it was so much like just grazing the surface because it does feel incredibly vulnerable and as much as I'm open online I'm 
I'm I don't even I'm I'm still filtering like no matter what I'm still choosing and whether I edit it out of a video or whatever I'm doing I'm so consciously choosing the stuff that I put out there and I have a really I have a much easier time like writing out my feelings than I do like expressing them verbally like I just I'm like oh I hate this this is uncomfortable it's my Aquarius rising I'm like feelings I hate this no, I'm not into this but writing's always been such an outlet for me but it took me like probably like the tough chapters, I probably rewrote like five, like six, seven, eight times. And every time I was like, okay, come on, be more honest, be more honest. And I took a big break of like a year and a half between when I switched publishers. And when I read it back, uh, some of those like more personal stuff, I was like, oh my God, dude, you are such a liar. Like, why are you pretending? Like, it's like, I tied everything up with a bow and it was all like, okay, and this is what I've learned. And I was like, okay, come on, admit it. But it was nice to see even in like growth just for me, that you think you have it together in your 20s and like every year, every like 21, you're like, I know everything. 22, no, now I know everything. 23, no, 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 now is the year that I know everything. And then I hit 25 and I was like, oh, I don't know anything and that's not going to change. Okay, cool. And it was nice for me and I'm glad that it's out now versus, because I, I would, I mean, I'm sure I'll cringe later on, but I would cringe so hard if like the 22-year-old version where I was like, I know everything. I'm like, no, you literally know nothing. Sit down. Like, oh my God. But it was well, rough. You, I feel like you have all these years of YouTube videos to go through and see yourself and learn from that. And I know while you were writing, you went through all 10 mm -hmm. years of your videos. So most people just have memories to go fall back on, but you have actual evidence. And I can't even imagine what that would have been like. Oh, it was the cringiest thing ever. And it was honestly the biggest blessing in disguise that my vlog channel ended up getting hacked because now as much as I went back and looked through everything, now nobody else can. And I'm like, you know what? I was really sad. And to be fair, I probably would have privated all of those videos once the book came out because I've already gotten messages of people being like, I like want to go through and decode who this person you were talking about and all of this stuff. I'm like, oh God, like it's just, it's essentially giving everyone like the blueprint, like the Marauders map to being like, figure out who everyone, I, like all of the aliases are about <laughs> but um yeah it was it was so weird and it was I never watch my old stuff like I hate watching myself in general like I I yeah I don't watch anything I'll skip scenes of things I'm like oh I'll watch this show that I'm in but I'm gonna skip all of my scenes and we'll move fast forward to everything else so even with YouTube videos I never rewatched them especially because I I don't know I think it was a lot of I I was I would compare myself to like how I was then and like I I can get caught up in um we all get caught up in like people who are putting like their best foot forward on social media and you're like oh my god I'm comparing like that quote of a uh, don't compare your like everyday to someone else's highlight reel I would do that to myself too like I would compare like mm -hmm. my day to day self to like my own highlight reel and I'm like Megan do you not remember that you filmed and edited this like you like this is your life like you can like remember the behind the scenes stuff so I think it was really like wildly interesting to go back and like look at all of that stuff and it definitely had like a lot of reflection for me because I had to be like oh was I like in a super like good mental place here and super happy or was I just putting it on because it made me feel better and like it's not not that it's like a, a tumultuous thing or a bad thing to do that but it was a lot of it made me like I, I it was too meta like it was so introspective that I was like I can't like I need to get out of my own head so I'm glad that they're not there for everybody else to look back on now. <laughs> I deeply appreciated how vulnerable and honest you were about binge drinking when you were younger. Mm -hmm. um, I've continued therapy during quarantine and because I just met a therapist like 2020, I was like, this is going to be great. And then a few months in, I was like, you know what? I think I need to get back into therapy. It had been about a year. 
I found someone new and um, just to switch it up. And then like two weeks later, quarantine hit. So I was like, well, I made this commitment. I'll keep it up. And it's the first time I've ever been in therapy where I'm not talking about what's going on necessarily all the time in the present moment. I went in saying, I want to talk about, you know, the patterns of my youth and like when I, how I was raised and all these things and how it's made me who I am today and see if I can point out those triggers or point out those, those things that, um, those just unhealthy patterns. And one of the big things that came up was just like how much, like, just like, as yeah, I like just binge drinking when you're younger and how some people are more susceptible to being distracted by like partying and, and using that as an excuse not to like feel like social anxiety and all those things. And you have so many people who are younger and I think in their twenties who I know you're like, if you're 16, I think you should read this book. And I completely agree. (laughs) And if you're in your twenties or thirties, um, what you talk about how writing it was the first time you'd realized how just unhealthy it was at a young age. Um, what was that realization like? It was wild because again, like it's a lot of like, I was chronic, like the book is not written in chronological order. It's not like in sequence. And so it became so clear to me in these situations that were, I don't even want to say that they were kind of very un-Megan situations, but now, like, I haven't, I really stopped drinking when I was, I really cut back when I was 19 because I dropped out of college and had no friends and was like, well, I'm underage. I can't, like, buy alcohol. I'm not going to frat parties. Like, how am I supposed to get drunk? So I wasn't drinking then. And then as I got older, it became it only really became clear until I was writing it all down that it was, okay, all of these situations, which I can look at now as someone who doesn't really drink, these situations are are not situations that I now would choose to put myself in. And the only reason I'm putting myself in these is because I'm drinking and therefore I am comfortable, like quote unquote, because I am like masking how anxious or un me this situation or whatever this feels like. But it was, it was just so, I think it's so inundated in our culture that it's like alcohol is like liquid courage. And that's totally great. And I just wish that at least for me, I had a kind of understood or had someone talk to me about like what social anxiety was and how when people say like liquid courage, it does kind of mean like synonymous with like, oh, this is like this is like something that would help your social anxiety. But it's the first time that you meet somebody and like you have a couple drinks and you guys break the ice and then you're fine afterwards. And that was for me, I realized I'm like, oh, but I wasn't ever still fine afterwards. Like I would still need yeah. that again to then be in the situation to hang out and do all of this all over again. And I think the thing that was so hard for me and the reason why it took until I was writing it down and seeing this pattern is because I'm an extrovert, like I'm not an introvert. So I've always really struggled with the fact that like I am a socially anxious extrovert. Like I don't recharge alone. I hate being alone. Not my jam. Like I like attention, but I also am have social anxieties. There are situations where I am not in my element at all. And it, it's just so like, it's just this like dichotomy of like art, like opposing like viewpoints or ideas that I couldn't understand essentially like what I was. I was like, so what the, like, what, what situation am I comfortable in? This doesn't really make any sense. So I think I thought like the more I was like, if like I'm drinking, like it would make sense to me because I'm, I like, I like hanging out with people. Like I like being around people. And so of course I would want to have fun and like go all do this stuff with people. And it was just, 
it was, yeah, it just became this cycle of me realizing too, like, oh, I'm only friends with these people and I'm only hanging out with these these specific people like when I'm drunk. And like my best friend and I, like if it's just her and I together, we're never hanging out drunk. Like we like we would never choose to just drink her and I because I don't feel that like anxiety with her at all. But it was with all these other situations, all these other people. And I just thought everybody was doing the same thing. And I, th- I thought everybody was just feeling that exact same way. And again, it wasn't until I wrote it down and saw the fact that like I even I was so nervous for my first date with Mots, my boyfriend now that I like got so drunk before our first date because I was so, so, so nervous. And I was like, but you know him. Like, why are you freaking out? You've been friends for a year. And it just became like, oh, I'm anxious. I'm nervous. Like, let me drink. That will fix it. And it it so doesn't like it so, so, so doesn't. But it's such a I just think it's so common because that's the age you don't really know what anxiety, I mean, at least for me, like I didn't really know what anxiety was at that age. I just thought I'm not shy. So why do I feel like this? Like, why do I hate? Why do I have this an- anxious feeling? Because that feeling is reserved for like, I hated speaking out loud in class, but that's like shy kids hate speaking out loud in class. Like I wasn't shy. So like, why was this this feeling there? So I felt like, oh, alcohol is that is the solution. That is what fixes this. And I was like, well, no, that's not a sustainable thing at all. I was very impressed that you wrote down all that you wrote down so many um, all, like so many circumstances in which it had gotten out of hand because we can all look back and think about that on our own when we're younger. And it's so easy to chalk it up to like, oh, we were just young. And you even touched on, you know, certain circumstances that are relevant to the Me Too movement. And and it was just so. Um, I, w- I just thought it was so incredible that you were brave enough to like write it down and share it. And because I'd had many of those conversations with friends around a dinner table and and it caused us to all look back and start looking at things under a new light. And so I think it's really helpful for any young women or women in general reading the book to be able to see that. And so just I was very impressed by that. Well, thank you. That's a part that the the that specific section in the drinking chapter was one of the things that I looked back on and I had written it in such a not really going there kind of way until the Me Too movement kind of happened. And it was like, oh, I what? Like, why are you telling this story in a way that absolves any other party from any sort of guilt and like puts it all on you? And it wasn't until like, yeah, again, until the Me Too movement happened that I was like, oh, wow, this is so different. And my friends and I actually, one of my, my best friend and I, her and I had a conversation about it uh, after, like like after the, like when the Me Too movement happened, but not when the story that happened in the book. And her and I both were like, what the fuck have like, how have we told each other these stories, but we told them in a way that again, absolved that the the guilty party of any guilt. And like even in high school, like we were open and talked about that kind of stuff, but we didn't even understand what it was because we were so young. And it was so wild to me that like I could go back and it made me so sad to like read like the first draft of it to be like, wow, this was only written probably like two years ago at that point. And I just I'm still like as a woman, I'm still understanding. I'm still learning about consent, which is awful. Like that's terrible. Like it should. Ne- I don't want to be. I don't want to be continuing to be educated on like, cons- like my me consenting in general. Like I want. I want to know that. I want to know those lines. Like I want to understand that. So sure, it's like it sucked to like know at 20, 24 or whatever 
old I was that I was like, oh, I have to rewrite this chapter because like even then I'm like victim blaming myself in this original Mm -hmm. one because I don't know any different because that's all essentially like that's all you're really told up until this this era, which is you know, a, a sad, but I think really illuminating time. But yeah, it was, uh, that one was not a fun one to read aloud. And uh, Melissa was the uh, director of the audiobook. So that one was me being like, oh, let me just read this as fast as I possibly can. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com It's time to get more in 2024. I know for me, one of my goals is to feel really strong this year. And honestly, so far, so good because that's where 310 Nutrition comes in. It's helping me and our listeners in the new year with protein and super rich food products with so many options and flavors. Right now I have the chocolate bliss and caramel sundae and they are both so (laughs) delicious. I have to hide them from my husband so that he doesn't steal them too. They're a triplex protein blend, plant-based proteins that include pea, brown rice, and pumpkin that leave me feeling full. 310 Nutrition also has a hydrate electrolyte drink mix My favorite is the peach mango flavor. So not only am I hydrating and drinking water, I have an electrolyte blend, vitamin blend, and it's sugar-free. With one stick of hydrate mix into 16 ounces of water, and it can provide the same amount of hydration equal to drinking two to three bottles of water. Thank you. This way I can keep my resolution, keep feeling strong, have greater focus, feel refreshed, and maintain my hydration without having to drink as much. One of my favorite refreshing water enhancers they have is the lemonade flavor. It gives me energy. This one's also sugar-free. It's used with real lemons and it's pH balanced. And this also offers the same hydration as two to three bottles of water. Right now, 310 is celebrating a new year of goals with code CHALLENGED and giving our listeners 50% off up to $100 for your first order. 
with so many sample packs, new products, it's really fun and easy to put together an order or start a subscription on products that you know you'll use and will help you keep your resolution. So go to 310nutrition.com and use the code CHALLENGE right now for 50% up to $100 for your first order. That's 310-nutrition.com and use code CHALLENGED. It's all the good stuff your body needs in flavors you crave. So be healthier effortlessly. I was saying to Melissa before we got on with you how well it, your audiobook is directed and also how well you you read it because it does shed light on these very serious issues, but it does it in a way that makes uh, that allows us to kind of reflect back on our life as well and kind of look back on what we've experienced and how much we relate to what you've been through. Do you keep an, an actual written journal as well? No, I can't. I'm not good at that. I used to have like a blog diary um, before Tumblr was a thing. And then when Tumblr was a thing, I had like that where I was like, oh, my God, I'm in love with like Jason. He's so cute. Like he's in my, all of my musical theater plays with me, which I'm like, should have been your clue, kid. Um, but <laughs> I like I, I've never gotten into it. I like always really wanted to. But I, I never was into it. But I was always into like poetry as a kid. So I think like I've got I have so many like poems throughout the years that I have through that. But I don't have journals, though. I would really love to see them because I can't spell and I really can't couldn't spell as a kid. So like half the stuff it would I look at my old Facebook statuses when you get like, oh, on this day, like nine years ago. I'm like, what did you like? I couldn't I spelled. I think when I was applying to college, I wrote like just submitted my like collage applications. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Of course you didn't get anywhere good. You can't even tell college. Like, what but the so, hell? So writing this book was your first time actually putting pen to paper or, you know, writing words out and ex figuring your life out because it's so much easier when we're talking about our lives to kind of fantasize and make things better. But the second you go word for word and have to write something out, it's a lot harder to you know, it forces you to be honest. So I can imagine mm -hmm. going through this and how how hard that must have been. And I can't believe it was it five years that it took you to write. Yeah, I truly that's think it was. <laughs> I think it was. That's a long time to do that. That's that's incredible. And yeah, I'm um, actually weirdly glad that it took that long because it was I think it was just like formidable years of like my I like grew up while I was writing it which I, I actually really like. I think if I had written it all in, I know people who have written books and like they just wrote it in six months and then they were done. I, I It was nice because I feel like I kind of got to sit with it and then be like, yeah, this is what I think. And like, yeah, this is what I feel. And yeah, this is like my truth and honest and all of that stuff, which I think ended up being better. <laughs> There's a recurring theme in your book about like not giving a fuck, like how mm -hmm. to not give a fuck, how to not like worry about what other people are thinking and to own who you are. And this is something that I so absolutely relate to and struggle with in life all the time. And you used to have a segment called Dr. Megan. So I really mm -hmm. wanted to ask Dr. Megan, like, what else can I do to not give a fuck? <laughs> Um, it is the biggest uphill battle in the world. And so weirdly enough, one of the things that I started to I, I mean, I think as we get older, we start to notice the situations, especially where we feel like the most uncomfortable, the most anxious, and sometimes they evolve and change. And we don't feel like people are we feel like people are really caring and paying attention to us here and there. And one of the things that was actually like weirdly eye opening for me was 
group fitness classes and I realized that I don't pay attention to anyone. I literally am not looking at anyone or paying attention to literally what anyone else is doing there. And it is a room full of mirrors always. Like you're always, you're close to one another. You're all doing the same thing and you're all essentially trying to do the same thing at the same level. And I wasn't paying attention to anybody or comparing myself to anybody or looking what anyone else is doing. I was just focusing on me. And that for me was like the biggest like aha moment that I was like, oh, wow. If again, we're in a room where everybody's trying to do the same thing, it's the easiest place to compare and to like be like, oh, this is like this person's doing bad or this person's doing bad. I'm going to compare myself to somebody else and judge someone else. And I wasn't doing that. I was like, oh, I feel like so maybe people don't notice me and judge me when I'm doing things that nobody else is even knowing that I'm doing and we're not doing the same thing. There is no comparison there. But it's so I think it's so hard in general. And it's still something that I struggle with. But I always go by the thing, the 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 basis of my friends, and the people that I care about. I have to trust them enough and like love them enough and care about them enough to know that they'll tell me if I'm being the worst. Like they'll tell me if I'm doing something bad and if no one's saying anything and that then I'm fine, that I'm fine. If my close friends and family, like if I have those people around me who care about me and love me and they're good and they're good with me, then I'm, I, I'm going to be fine. And I, I just need to stop caring about what people I don't know think about me. But it's also just not surrounding myself with I don't know, situations in where in which I can see myself spiral. Like I like the buddy system. Like I always bring a friend everywhere I go if I'm feeling anxious or uncomfortable, which is, you know, obviously hard now, but also we're not leaving our houses now. But yeah, it's it. I think that's probably the one that takes the longest time. And I definitely care less in circumstances, but there's other ones that I care so, so, so much about, which is it shifts. It's like so hard. But I like I don't care what anyone thinks about for a long time. I didn't care what anyone thought about like my personality. And I was like, I only just care if like people think I'm ugly. And now I'm like, OK, I don't care if you think I'm ugly. But if you don't like my personality, like I'm going to die. Like, <laughs> so it shifts. So it's like, OK, well, just figure out how to deal with it in the, in, in the moment and in the process of it. Yeah. Your book is part memoir, part advice. Were, did you rewrite a lot of the advice that you're giving? I, I love seeing the advice on like creating the perfect dating profile because that was something I'd never done before. And, and don't worry, Joe, I'm not doing quarantine. <laughs> um, but did you like go through the advice throughout the book? And like, did you have like an advice buffer? Do you have like a mentor where you're like, hey, will you just triple check this advice? Or you're like, no, I know that this is like, this is good. Like, I got this. I don't think I did. I, I don't think I had an advice buffer. I think I've always had like an unwavering stubbornness when it comes to advice. Like I'm so I'm such a decisive person. I am like, yes, no, everything's black and white, which drives my boyfriend crazy. He's like, no, there are like there are shades through all this. I'm like, no, it's like, yes, no. I'm like very quick with that. Um, So I think the advice part, the, the stuff that changed was yeah, the, the advice changed a lot, especially because the I, we didn't have I didn't have my podcast when we were when I first wrote the book. And so there was a lot of situations and I don't give advice in the book on things that I haven't been through, which is a huge part of what we do on the podcast is like I'm I'm going to come at everything from my own experience because I want to be able to relate it to my life and then tell you why I'm giving you this advice because I've been through it. I'm not going to be like, oh, sure, I'll give you advice on I don't know, something I've never, ever done before. And it's like, why would I listen to you? Like, you are full of it. So it definitely changed as I got 
older because I I think I just allowed myself a lot more grace in everything and just knowing that I those opinions and things that we like think and feel are going to change and as we get older we value things differently and it was just a lot of thinking about the situations like even some of the stuff like advice that I gave I was like okay be real what are you actually going to take because like some of this advice is like really great but like Megan have you ever done this like no you've chosen this other option which like maybe isn't the best but it's also not the worst so I really like what's an example Oh, gosh. Um, I definitely had a lot of like breaking up, like just like be the bigger person, like walk away from it. And like, (laughs) just like you just know that you're better off. And then it was like, no, if you like need to like hate them and like Photoshop Photoshop some pictures of them and like ugly positions or like on stupid things and it makes you feel better, like go for it. If you need to obsess a little bit, like that's fine. And I think I originally, I was painting it. I wanted, I I think I wanted it to be a little bit more flattering and kind of who I like wished I was that like perfect Mm -hmm. version of me, the ideal version Mm -hmm. of me. But as the, the older I got and the more like life experience I had, I was like, okay, that's not relatable because you're not even doing that. So the dating advice stuff I think is, is a lot more, um, realistic and in that and kind of like we're all going to be a little bit extra at some points and that's okay versus we're not always going to be the bigger person and I think that's a that's fine just like don't always be like the shit one just be the bigger person sometimes not all the time like that's really (laughs) really really unreal like I can't I can't do that always one of the things that you talk about a lot too is like how to be happy being single which Mm -hmm. I know is something that a lot of people struggle with. It's a hard thing. And especially Mm -hmm. during quarantine, now that sets on a whole new, that's a whole new ball game. Like we all, it's, we're all lonely. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of people look up to you and listen to your advice. And I'm wondering if you have any advice for those that are listening that are single, that are having a hard time right now with that. Yeah. So I, I treat relationships when it comes to like advice and just in general in the book. And then also in my real life, relationships are all the same. So romantic relationships and friendships, I, I, I value and see as equals. And I think the thing that was the most eye-opening for me and like for my friends who I like push this advice on all the time when they were dating terrible people is that we don't hold our partners or the people that we date necessarily to the same standards we do as our friends. And I always found that absolutely insane that we would date someone big. Oh, well, I'm just going to settle. I want a boyfriend. But you've never heard someone say, I'm just going to settle for these friends. Like, it's just not the same thing. And I think the thing that I learned was it is so you are going to be far lonelier with the wrong people, with the wrong group of people or with the wrong person, then you are alone. Like I was terrified of being alone. And I still like, you know, I don't like the dark. Like I don't like being alone in like that sense. And I like enjoy hanging around people that I really care about and I love. But it took me having like being single and having no friends and like kind of just sitting in that and stop and like, oh, excuse me, and not trying to fix it and trying to like find those people before I realize I'm like, okay, cool. If I am like at a shitty place mentally and I'm not feeling great about myself and I don't have a lot of good people in my life, my standards for the people that are going to be in my life are virtually non-existent because I just need bodies. Like I just need someone. And it wasn't until Mm -hmm. I was able to be content with where I was at as a person 
to then be okay being single because all all a relationship would do is just add. And the same thing with like a new friendship. Like when you make a new friend, like all they're doing is adding to your life. Like they shouldn't take anything away and it shouldn't be this like trade-off. But it's mm-hmm. so, it's hard. And I think, and I talk about it on the podcast all the time is that you have to break the cycle. So if you've been like a serial monogamous, like relationship to relationship to relationship, yeah, when you're single, it's gonna suck because like you don't know yourself single and you haven't done this and you don't have that, like the same level of like life experience single that you do in a relationship. And I took like a year long break from dating. And then by the time that I like started dating again, I, it didn't feel like a chore. Like I didn't feel like, oh, I have to do this. Like this is something that I re- I was like, sure, this will be fun. Like I'm good in my life. I'm happy with where everything else is at. And now I'm down to like meet somebody. And if I don't meet anybody, then that's fine too. Like it was just taking off that pressure because it's not like you're casting. And that's, I think, a lot of the times that we can get into the habit of. It's like, ooh, let me cherry pick this. And like, especially with dating profiles and we see someone and you're like, oh my God, this is their headshot. Ooh, and their resume. Where did they go to college? How tall are they? And you're like, ooh, that's I'm painting this picture in my head of like how our life is going to look and all of that stuff. And it's it it just makes it so much more mindless that I think it it feels it feels weirdly intentional without actually being super intentional. Because I think like it's a dating can be like a mindless activity, but going about it in a way that like. I don't know. It just I, I think it just needs to be fun and enjoyable versus again, yeah, trying to just like find someone like I have friends who like literally will schedule dates like they will schedule like five dates, not now, but like they would do like five dates in a week and they would like have it all timed out and everything. And I was like, are you not exhausted? Like, I think you have to put effort into like find a partner because, like, you know, it's not going to just fall in your lap. But if you're worrying so much about that, then I think you're going to end up with or at least I've ended up with some pretty terrible people. <laughs> well, not anymore. Now you have a awesome Mark Ruffalo, right? Mark Ruffalo, yeah, Mark Ruffalo. is your boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's great. I mean, he's he sucks sometimes. Like it's he's he's a, he's a human. <laughs> and that was funny. The first draft of the book, it was very much like, "Oh my god, rose-colored glasses. Like we're so happy. Like everything is perfect. Like relationships are amazing." And literally like in the book in the the chapter about us, I'm like, "Okay, so then I took off my rose-colored glasses and realized like he's a human and sometimes he sucks." <laughs> and like that's okay though because like I still love him, but like that doesn't mean he doesn't have any flaws. But neither do I mean, I've got flaws too. What is it like now you spent all the you spent five years writing this book and while also um, you wrote a movie and starred in it and you've also been an actress working in other shows. You've got your YouTube, you've got Don't Blame Me podcast. And then now you here you are in quarantine and are you like, wow, this would have been this is like so much time to write a book right now. Who would have thunk? <laughs> yes, I but am losing you get my to mind. hold it and it's real. <laughs> It's but so how weird, are though. you dealing with this? How are you dealing with uh, this time in the world? Um, I think, I mean, just to like, obviously check the privilege that I have, like, we're so lucky. Like I like Mott still has his job. Like it's also fine. Like he, we're able to like work from home and we've like got a house and I mean, we don't own it. We rent it with love. We bought a house, but that's maybe later. Um, But I mean, I think like, to be honest, I think this is like, um, it's a very weird time because a, I'm benefiting from like, I'm getting more social interaction because I usually work from home alone and I hate it. But now my boyfriend's here and I'm like, oh, cool. I can hang out with you and annoy you all day. So that's nice for me. But I think it is so weird because I have like, 
not I don't mean to sound dark, but I have like nothing anymore. Like the book is done and I have nothing else in the pipeline because like everything's kind of in this like weird limbo. And I've never been like that. Like I literally like no matter what I was doing for the last five years, I always like, okay, well, I still have to do my book like or like my book is still happening. Like that's still coming out. Like I always had something to look forward to or something on that like you know, like year long, like career long to do list that was in the process and the works. And this is the only time I've had nothing and we're stuck inside. So I'm like, what am I going to do? Like, I'm losing it. And I like keep joking to telling monster, like, we just need to have a baby. And he's like, no, that's not the solution to your boredom. And I was like, but it gives me something to do. But I also don't want a kid. I just want not a baby. The solution. Let me tell no. you, not the solution. We'll get well, we'll get a puppy first. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's so weird. And I keep being like, well, what am I? gonna do now and like thankfully I'm still doing book press but like when book press is done I'm like what the hell do I do and like now Moski's being like you gotta write the sequel and I'm like I need you to shut up like I am not writing another book right now <laughs> like that is literally the last thing I want to do but if I I could have written the whole book in quarantine like it's just like there's so much at home time like oh this would have been so much nicer than me closing all of like our we have blackout curtains and I used to just like close the blackout curtains and pretend that it was like the middle of the night and I was just like have like quiet music playing and I would like go out into it and I was like wow this would have been this would have been the prime time to get all of that done. <laughs> mm-hmm. But instead, you get to cradle your new baby book and just hold on to it. And that's your baby. <laughs> and it's beautiful. Did you always want to write a book? Is this something that you've always wanted to do or had in the back of your mind? Yeah, I think it was. It must have been like one of those like childhood bucket list items, because by the time that I was in like middle school. I mean, I wrote used to write Harry Potter fanfic. So I like knew I could write a book because like I used to write really long fanfic. <laughs> and so but I've always just been into like English and writing. And I remember even like the first like the first meeting I had with my agents when I was uh, finding an agent in L.A. And every single one I talked to, I was like, they were like, well, what's like your career goals? And I was like, oh, well, one of the things like I want to write a book. And that and it's so weird to think that I always I don't know. I was like, what is this cocky idea that you had in your head that you're like, yeah, I'm going to write a book like I'm going to write a book. I'm going to write a book. And I always planned for it to be like an advice book that was like an, a nonfiction advice book. But I was like, so what ego did you have to think about writing that at 16 years old? Like, what do you know? Like, what do you mean? But it, it, it is cool to see that I, I, I've had like I've had like two childhood like dreams come true of like get, like getting a like a movie done by like a story like a story like a coming up with a concept for a movie and the story behind it and then writing a book but now I'm like I guess I have to come up with other bucket list items because like now there was only two that I remember and then the other was like Mary Nick Jonas but he was like never got tall so then that got eliminated <laughs> I need to I need to add more to those those childhood dreams those are good dreams to have now I have one question that I think everyone you know Getting mono, what changed your life, right? (laughs) But we need to call him out. Who gave you mono? Okay. Wow. Good question. So we are, it is still undecided. We have not always figured it out. My thought process is, um, oh, I have to. I'm going to have to come up with... So I wrote all of the aliases for everybody's name at the end. Like, I wrote everybody's real name and then I changed it. So people will be like, oh my God, this person sucks. And the other day, I'm like, who is that? I have no idea who that is. So I'm trying to think of the alias of my friend. I'm pretty sure I called her Emma in the book, maybe. I think... uh, Oh, I think so. Maybe. But she had a boyfriend who got mono 
and she never had it. But then she got tested when he got mono because they wanted to know if she gave it to him. And then she was a carrier and her and I hung out and we, I think I shared a soda with her or something like that. And that's how I got it. But like my high school boyfriend. Oh, sorry, Melissa. I hit the mic. It's just like my own podcast. Um, my high school boyfriend. I gave him mono, but he had no symptoms. Like none. He like went on like a 45 mile bike ride with his family. And he's like, yeah, like, cause I got it when he was on vacation. And then he came home and I, he was like, yeah, I went on a 45 mile bike ride. Like, I don't think I have it. I'm fine. And then went to the doctor and got tested. They're like, yeah, you had it for about a week. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> so jealous. <laughs> and for the listeners, mono changed your life because it, it's the reason why you started a YouTube channel. So yes. they're not like, wait, what happened when she got mono? <laughs> it's like it's like Spider-Man. I got bit by a spider, a radioactive spider, yep. and now I am a superhero. Basically. And you know what that makes you? Special. Boom. <laughs> Megan, thank you so much for joining us today. You are so special. You are beautiful. We love your curly hair. We spent all <laughs> like morning talking about it. Um, we're so excited for your new book. You're not special. It, you can get it everywhere. You can listen to an audiobook. Um, love your YouTube channel. You're still keep, keeping up on the vlogging, right? That's what the youth calls it. I'm so old. Yes. Like, no, that is what vlogging. the youth okay, call cool. it. Vlogging. <laughs> Woo. Okay. What are your socials so that everyone can find you? At Megan Rinks on everything and R-I-E-N-K-S. I just literally looked down and read my last name to make sure I spelled it right. I was like, well, <laughs> yep, that is exactly how I spell my last name everywhere. Thanks guys for having me on. Love the podcast. Yes. Big fan. Have been listening since the start. I might be a little Thanks. biased, but I think you guys are doing fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. And we love your podcast. Don't blame me. You guys can mm -hmm. listen to that wherever you listen to podcasts. And it's so lovely to see your face. We miss Likewise. you and love you. We love I we. I'm just me. I love you. My Moss Moss hasn't met you guys, but I'm sure he loves you too. He knows who both of you are, so that's fine. <laughs> The thing I'm always struck with with Megan is how much I'm laughing as I'm having a conversation with her. She is just such a light and such a lovely person uh, on this gloomy quarantine day to have a conversation with Megan has just been the, the highlight of my day so far. She's just wonderful. I'm a fan, Megan. <laughs> I am too. I'm so happy for her. I mean, especially knowing her for so long. And we haven't been able to spend a lot of quality time together. By the time I met her, I was still in Atlanta, Georgia. So we didn't get to go to, you know, all the lunches that we had wanted to do, but we've always checked in on each other and kept in touch here and there. And so it's so nice to see just everything that she's accomplished. It was so nice to see when the honor list came out, it, you know, and she just has like the success of her podcast, which was a big inspiration for us as well. Mm -hmm. um, when Kayla and I were starting our podcast and then now with this book and that this has been a goal of hers for a really long time. This is something she's always said that she wanted to do. And I love the idea that she you know, might even take this time to set some new goals. And I cannot wait to watch her just grab those goals by the goals. I don't know. I don't know I any balls. And then I got really <laughs> uncomfortable, but you know what I mean? Megan would say balls. She says to give zero fucks. So fine. She's going to grab those goals by the balls and just, you know, <laughs> succeed. We're already changing ourselves and improving. Thanks to our conversation with Megan. Um, <laughs> no, but it's so nice to watch someone 
who's um, accomplished so much already at the age of 26. And that's she epitomizes what this podcast is about, is figuring out what you want in life and trying to make those big pivots and conquering your goals so much so that she genuinely has conquered all of the goals she set and needs to sit right now and figure out what else she wants to do. So she's definitely a huge inspiration. Do you think you'll ever write a book? I don't know if I have a desire to write a book, but no, I don't think so. Do you want to write a book? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, everyone we know who's written a book didn't enjoy it. Like Megan just said that it was like the most excruciating process. We've had Jenna, our friend Jenna Ushkowitz on, and she's also had the same sentiment. We have a lot of friends who have written books, which is so cool. I never thought I'd know so many people who have written books. Yeah. <laughs> Especially Caitlin, at our age. Uh, no, it's true. Caitlin Crosby, who we had on too for, from The Giving Keys, she just wrote a book as well. Like there's so many people who I love and I know we really look up to who have written books. But I I think it would be too hard of a process for me. I think it would be extremely unenjoyable and I would overanalyze everything I wrote. And I'm not sure I want to take that on right now. Maybe when I'm older. Okay. Do you? But if uh, we're playing pretend. No, first (laughs) I want to know. Okay. So if we're playing pretend and you wrote a book, what would your book be about? And it can be anything. You can even say it'd be a cookbook. Well, that's what I, it's funny that you say that because that's what I would say is, you know, how hers is a sort of memoir, but it also gives advice. Mine would probably be a sort of memoir, but it would also, um, give recipes that would be remedies if you were going through something that I was going through. What about you? I like that. I would buy that book. Thanks. <laughs> I think that's a great idea. I got I got one. I got one person buying my book. I'm so excited about it. That's oh, all two. You need, Mel said you know? two. Yay. Yep. <laughs> See? See? Um, I don't know. I mean, I remember when you and I started this podcast, I said I want this podcast to turn into a book. But mm-hmm. now I I'm like, I don't see that in the near future is like still on the list of goals. Cause I think, I think goal lists can shift and change and yeah. grow. And also there can be some that fall off the list and that's totally fine. Um, cause it, this podcast just needed to become what it was meant to become as opposed it, it didn't really adhere to a list, I think. Um, but I, I don't know. I feel like it'd be, yeah, like a, I, I don't think I could write like a full memoir, but I feel like it'd be a collection of essays on parenting. That's what I was going to say. That's what I would want to read from you is a, is parent, not, I wouldn't say parenting advice per se, but yeah, perfect. A a collection of essays about parenting, because I mean, you are part of the reason why I was inspired to have a a kid and not only that, but I feel like your situation is very unique. So, um, I can absolutely see that. Well, thanks. Well, there we go. I think we just did it. That's it. That's all it takes to write a book. You just talk about it and then it's done, right? I mean, it's, so yeah, we did so it's it. coming now out, we don't have right? to do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is incredible. Megan's book is incredible. She were, I love that she spent five years writing it. You guys can get it anywhere, listen to it anywhere. It's called You're Not Special. What a delight. Uh, thank you all for joining us today. Uh, please pick up our non-existent books just in your <laughs> hearts and in your brains. We hope that you enjoy the read. And we hope you enjoyed this episode. We can't wait till next week when we have an all-new episode of Directionally Challenged, ready to go, waiting in your inbox. We'll see you then. What?
waiting in your inbox. You don't even get mail. I don't think that works. Box. Waiting in your subscription box. Q. It'll be waiting on your phone. Waiting. Just put like say like waiting, waiting. to be heard. Hmm. Waiting for you. <sighs> waiting for you. Waiting in your subscription box. An owl will carry the podcast to you in some form. <laughs> and there will be a disc man yeah. on your front door. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.